So, uh, before uh, we get on to the subject, let's little bit continue from last night and then very naturally slip into it. One thing that we discover as we move along the journey of life, as we grow from infancy into an adult, is that there are many levels at which we exist and many levels at which we can understand existence and ourself, many levels at which we can act upon ourselves and our life. It is even our sacred duty, if there is a duty, to discover these levels. Some of these levels are open for us by nature and some others by the grace of the supernature. So when we were talking about pain yesterday, what we saw is that pain exists at several levels. At each level its perception changes and the means to act change. So there is a pain or let's say there is a physical component of pain, there is an emotional component of pain, there is a mental component or an intellectual perception understanding of pain, there is a psychic perception of pain, there is a spiritual understanding of pain and to go to Shirobindo's Yoga, there is a supramental way of looking at human misery and pain which we just saw in Savitri. And quite naturally for us because we begin from the physical and our gaze is fixed to the physical, we are almost fixed, transfixed, glued to the physical. It hits us hard because we are identified with it. So much so that we think this is my identity. Like the story of Karna for whom the kavach which sticks to his body is his identity. Sticks. And it has a great hold on us. It all the time keeps us hypnotized as it were. We look at appearances and we draw conclusions through the agency of the physical mind or through our emotional being. When things happen which are personally not pleasant for us, we start drawing conclusions not only about ourselves but about cosmos, creation, divine and his workings. Because instinctively man's ego believes that it is at the center of the cosmos and everything, all the cosmic forces and the divine himself should obey him, serve him and all around move to organize his life the way he wants it to be. This is the first error, the cardinal error, the fundamental error, the root of our ignorance because of which everything else is tainted. Everything else is just keeping ourselves at the center. But the first lesson of a spiritual awakening is that our human ego is not at the center of creation, of cosmos. 
Why talk so big? Not even at the center of our family life. I'm sure everybody knows this. And whoever tries to put himself at the center of the family life faces a very miserable, he's in a very miserable situation. Hit from all sides. Because that's not our place. In Indian culture, there is a very nice uh, ceremony. The ceremony part is very nice. Marriage ceremony. So the fire is at the center. And husband and wife go hand in hand seven times. A very beautiful symbol. At the center of life, at the center of creation, at the center of the human heart, at the center of the cosmos, there is this fire burning, bright, luminous, forever pure. Antaha sharire jyotir mayohi shubra, as the Svetashutar Upanishad puts it. Burning in the depths of her heart is a fire. And what happens when that fire steps out? We heard this lovely shloka actually. Thanks for that music. Vidyanti Ridgranti Chidyanti Sarva Sanshaya When this fire is revealed, unveiled by rendering the strings of the heart then all doubts vanish. Chidyanti Sarva Sanshaya as clouds scatter by the emergence of the sun. That is the process of scattering of all these clouds. So the focus was to concentrate here, to bring out this and all else will fall in place because what we have done, we have put the fire at the center. But when we say, no, I must occupy the place of the fire. One of the names for fire, interestingly, in the Upanishads is Grahapati. That's how we are talking about Ushasti Chakra and the story is very interesting. So the first fire, Grahapati, he is the lord of the house. So it is not the husband, not the wife, not the father, not the mother, not the father-in-law, not the mother-in-law, not the child, not the son, not the daughter who are at the, who are the lord of the house. If they try to become one, Damn dangerous, we know what happens when we place ourselves on the hot seat in the burning fire. We are either roasted alive or we get purified. So somebody who can thus get purified, who is ready to shed the entire attire of the ego, can find for a while his place at the center of the fire. Otherwise not. And that is the Guru. The Guru is someone who has let this fire pervade his being, emerge, step out, allowed this process of purification. It's fashionable nowadays to use the word Guru. Like every other sacred term, this is again fully corrupted. Anybody who uh, speaks well, anybody who, who has read the scriptures, anybody who can quote from the Vedas, the Upanishad, it's not a guru. Guru is not just a pointer to the path. That's how it is understood in some traditions. That guru points the path, the disciple has to walk it. That's not a guru. That many people can do. Teachers can do it. Even a most ignorant person can do it. 
There's a nice story about Mother's coming since you mentioned 29th March 1914. When Mother came, she had a time when she has to meet Shirobindo. The time is fixed. And she is um, walking down the street. She is not she wants to make sure that she is going to the right place. So she asked a man, Do you know where Shirobindo lives? And the man points out. She goes and meets Shirobindo. Look at the Divine Mother. All her life she gave a very special treatment to this man. Just because he pointed out the house of Shirobindo. Showing us what really it means to be grateful. But we can't say he was a guru who pointed out. He did something very nice, good. And it's good to feel that gratitude. But who is the guru? The Lord seated there. Guru doesn't just guide, give instructions, point the way. When somebody asks your window, how do you... Uh, you know, about guidance, Upadesh, etc. Because Shurabindo would not come and give lectures. You can't any lecture series by Shurabindo. Shurabindo is visiting so and so place and for three days he will hold, hold a conference. Imagine how absurd it will look. So somebody asked Shurabindo in a letter, Why don't you give Upadesh? Shurabindo says, This yoga is not done by giving Upadesh. Instructions. Do this. Don't do this. Yoga is not a set of rule book. But something else, something much deeper, much profound. It's a thirst. It's a fire. So the Guru doesn't just point the way. Doesn't just instruct. Doesn't just give suggestions of walking the path. Time to time course correction. Guru with his light, the word Guru comes from the root Gu, light. That's how Go, Gupt, Gopi, Gopal, all born from the same root. Means light. By his light he scatters darkness. Once again we come to why we should read Shirobindo. It doesn't matter if we understand or we don't understand. It is light, embodied light. Light in capsules of words, light in capsules of thought. And some of us, either as doctors or patients, we know when we take a capsule, what happens? It goes into the stomach, it releases its contents and does its job. Whether we know the name, whether we know uh, its actual chemical, whether we know, you know which company has made it, it's irrelevant. What is the coating, it doesn't matter. Shirobindo words are nothing but light. It's a beautiful poem, occult, uh, seer, deep-hearted. This is Shirobindo's poem, where he says, speaking of these words, white star scripts of the gods, born from the presses of light, page by page to the dim children of earth were given. Just reading Shurabindo is to do yoga. People often ask, 
Tell us some simple way to do yoga. Just reading Shurabindo is to do yoga. Reading Savitri is to be carried to the utmost limits of transformation. Mother's words. Without a living guide. This, these are mother's words. If you read Savitri every day, she will take you or to all the experiences and realizations of the yoga right up to the yoga of transformation and she adds without a living guide. Means there is no need for anybody else. How simple yoga can be? Where is the difficulty? Where is the problem? Just reading half an hour. But we won't, don't want to do it. <laughs> because it's available only for 300 rupees. Still people crave, oh it's so costly. Why can't we make it simpler? In fact even it's available for free. <laughs> from the net. We just got to open and read it. What more simpler it can be. And it may look strange. How can it be? It's not possible. Reading cannot be yoga. I would only say to this, the proof of the pudding is in eating it. Just read and see how it changes life. How it opens the psychic doors. How it opens the mind to ranges beyond the mind. How it has impact even on the very physical body. Just read and see. I'm sure we are all reading it. But just a reminder to myself as much as to anyone else. So the Guru with his blaze of light destroys darkness. He doesn't tell walk through the darkness and look at the end of the tunnel there is light. He says I'll carry you. One of the work of the mother before she came to Pondicherry was that she saw that when people die they have to go through a very dark passage. And with all her occult knowledge, she was building a passage through this vital world so that those who have given a little faith can be put into that groove and they are on fast track with no customs, no red line, no, you know, no declarations needed. I have done this karma, that karma. You are just carrying, carried through the uh, special quota ambassador passage. What else does a guru do? He not only scatters darkness, the sun blaze of truth. That's why it's very interesting. Nowadays we have Guru Purnima um, once a year and it's on full moon day. Today is full moon day of that Guru Purnima. It's interesting. Gurus are like the full moon. Something of that light exists in all of us but in the Guru it is to its fullness. But what is the source of that light? The moon has no light of its own. The source is the supramental sun. That's why in Shurabindu's yoga we do not talk about a guru. And it's not, Shurabindu writes in one of his letters, it's not, in this yoga, it's not inevitable or necessary or indispensable to relate as the guru. In fact, the mother was not very fond of it. At least it is there in one of her letters when somebody you know, wanted to put her on the pedestal of a guru. Mother says, oh, you want to relate with me that way? You want me to come down? It's like the sun coming to become the moon. She says, as the mother, I am happy to carry you. And you want me to become a guru. It was always considered as something from that supramental sun. So, Shurbindo, we can say, is the guru of gurus. 
or the swords that light that supramental blazing fire truth from which all other lights are nothing but fragments some degree and that light comes every day with the full born blaze the sun doesn't say that okay i will wax and wane even in winter cold winter even when it is hidden by the clouds it is still the same fullness of the sun so when we turn to the mother and shurbindo we are not turning to a guru we are turning to not even the gurus of guru but something much more something much deeper much more profound is as i think on the first day i was mentioning he is not just yet another master the avatar is not just a master he may take that role as buddha and krishna did or christ did or he may not take that role rama vamana they never took the role of a master yet they were avatars and the masters bowed before them there are such lovely stories in the ramayana that when some sage or would be one of the sage asks his master what name shall i meditate upon what shall i do what mantra shall i meditate meditate upon so his master tells him the best mantra the best name i can give you to meditate upon is the name of rama and you wonder how can rama was like a you know simply uh, killing and <laughs> he had his own life he was a king he never was a guru he never taught anybody how can this be a holy name this is the difference this is how it's in modern times it's all corrupted the idea of guru is somebody who comes in a certain dress and uh, with a very fanciful mala and you know he is uh, well versed in certain scriptures and he has to be given a special pedestal with the you know malas and dakshina and all this adambar it's a lovely hindi word i don't know what is the english equivalent of it all the nonsense <laughs> that is put around that artificial halo lamp effect that kind of a seeking doesn't take us far if such is the seeking then it will not carry us deep and far into yoga because seeking comes from the depths of the heart that fire so when we look at life from that standpoint i had thought i'd talk a little bit about from the beginning about how to practically deal with pain and again i find myself drifting into <laughs> thanks to your guru punima <laughs> because there is the easiest way to relieve pain you know <laughs> all our pain offer it <laughs> to the lord so what to do when there is such a wonderful way who would talk about you know more difficult longer ways <laughs> but still sometimes we love longer ways because we believe in them so it's worthwhile talking about as is the faith <laughs> so is the response of the divine that's how the gita says whatsoever men have faith in <laughs> that faith i strengthen so we have faith in our physical view of things we trust it blindly we almost say seeing is believing but the upanishads will say seeing is not believing at all 
This world is created by the senses. It's an appearance. It's not true in on its surfaces. There is a reality inside it. So the first thing we learn is so paradoxical. Material senses are not the evidence of truth. Even in our ordinary life, we know it. Even in law, it is recognized at one level. It's not enough that somebody saw another person. It he has to also. The law talks about mens rea and actus rea. Actus rea is the act. Mens rea is the intent behind it. It's not seeing. The the whole circumstances, everything. Seeing is not believing. It's an amazing truth. Because we are trapped by appearances all the time, and we are judging things only by appearances. It's a wonderful ashram in Pondicherry that people come in Girvavastra and they walk by with everybody in the line. Nobody gives a special attention. Oh, some Swamiji is coming. Let's make way for him. Because instinctively it's inbuilt in that. This is not the sign. They look for an inner sign and when they find it, they know it. It's not the sign. This externality is in which we are trapped. So seeing is not believing. Hearing is not believing. There is something else. A mystery. Which we have to discover. So one of the first things in life comes. When we discover that appearances. Both signs and in yoga. The very first step is this. Appearances are deceptive. This is the first basic thing. Appearances are not truth. We have to go somewhere else. Something else. Something else we have to do. To discover truth. For which we are in search of. But the impact. And then all these levels. Are so much interconnected. That they create a chaos. Let's take again this example of pain. Physical pain impacts not only the body but our emotional life. It impacts our vital life. There are people for whom pain means, oh, I can't go for work. I will lose my job. So when I lose my job, oh, my desires, what will happen to them? I have a nice job now. I'm going to lose it. And then they go as far as saying, oh, my God, God has been very unkind. He has shut a door to me. Not realizing that when he shuts 10 doors, he opens one beautiful door. It's just that we are not looking in that direction. So when we look at it physically, physical pain impacts the emotional. And doctors, when they don't understand it, they don't, uh, you know, and it, it impacts in strange ways. It can impact even in positive ways. Something that we call as people hold on to their pain. Why? Because it is impacted in a positive way. So in India, we had this custom of joint family and, uh, you know, now it is broken down. So the mother-in-law and the daughter-in-law lived together in the same house. So what used to happen was that this daughter-in-law when she comes, it's very strange dynamics that used to work in certain families. The mother-in-law had suffered as a daughter-in-law. But when she had a daughter-in-law, I mean, there are wonderful mother-in-laws here. So I'm like, this is, exceptions don't, you know, they prove the rule. <laughs> I know for sure, you know, we have wonderful mother-in-laws. So we are not... But by and large, I am talking of what happens usually. The same mother-in-law, the same lady, when she became a mother-in-law, she becomes the same tyrant on her daughter-in-law. Instead of developing compassion, she identifies with all that things. And it's 
what does the daughter-in-law do? She she also groomed that now you have to be like this, you have to be like that. So one day suddenly, you know, maybe hard work or something, she develops pain in the hand. So you see what a boon it is. Two days, she doesn't have to do all this. <laughs> she doesn't have to clean the clothes. She's rested and suddenly discovers, wow, I have a way out of this situation. It's a real thing. I'm not saying, you know, I deal with it very often uh, as a psychiatrist. And then suddenly this lady who was uh, the little, uh, for want of a better word, you know, she was all the time serving everybody, becomes the sinusaur of everybody's eyes. Everybody wants her to get well. Why? Because they need her to start with. And she won't get well because if she gets well, now she is a predicament. She has to make a choice between the pain which she must carry in her body or the pain that she must undergo otherwise. This is just one example I am telling you how the impact between physical and emotional and the relation takes place or between the desired self and the... So many such examples. People in a conflicting situation decide this way. It is very amazing. Oh, I want to go, but I have a pain. I have this, you know, human mind justifies. I want to go to the ashram, but what to do? You know, suddenly I have this weird like pain coming up. There may be something else deep inside. Oh, who is going to undertake the journey? It's going to be very expensive, but it's very difficult to admit all that. So one simple way is that there's this weird pain, not my knee is paining. If I had a heart attack, then still with that paining knee, I'll run. Because, because, or if a snake came, I'd run literally with that, you know, aching knee. But knee pain becomes so difficult, a thing that one doesn't go. And look here, we have such a wonderful example of Ba being present with all that stress and strain, traveling 14 hours of journey, coming to Greenville Conference. This is the spirit. But, you know, pain. So pain, many times we hold on to the pain. It's well known. People hold on to the pain, cling to it, stick to it, make it their identity. All their life they talk about it. You know what to do? I have this pain. And as many persons they talk to, they feel relieved. But the other person goes burdened because nobody really comes to hear out somebody's pain unless he's in a position of being a psychiatrist or something. He has no choice. But otherwise, you know, people love to talk about their pain. Talk about delight. There is so much in this creation which is wonderful. So what if you have pain? When you walk around the lovely things in this world to talk to, to relate with, to connect with, to appreciate. But that pain narrows us, constricts us, stifles us, brings us into a prison house and that prison house is our comfort zone. So there is an interrelation between physical and emotional. Physical pain intellect, uh, affects our intellect. It should not. But many people can't even read when they have pain. One of the first things in yoga one learns is, regardless of any condition, I can still read. I can carry on with all intellectual activities, just ignoring my pain, putting it aside for the moment. Like that famous story of Queen Elizabeth, one of mother's previous incarnations. Where you know she is on deathbed and then people have come, farmers have come, you know everybody has grievances, problems. 
and they want to see her. And she says, I must see them. So all the ministers are counseling, no, 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 you are on deathbeds. Dangerous for you to walk. You may die. And then she says, but death can wait. Look the power, but death can wait. I still must go and see. There have been such examples. In, uh, in the ashram context, we have had such examples. Death can wait. But this is divine work. I must go. I must do it. And the mother used to appreciate it very much. When people had problems, physical problems, illnesses, etc. Then mother would ask one question. Is the person going for work? So they would say, yes, mother, he is going for work. Oh, then don't worry. Everything will be okay. It has been inbuilt in the fabric of the ashram life. You know, people don't notice such things. They just go there, go to the samadhi, do pranam and you know, a lot of of course gossip always going around and this and that and they indulge with all this. Then come back with a mixed baggage. Samadhi is wonderful, people are so difficult. It's not that. Just, I would suggest, take for 10 days seva in the ashram, in the dining room particularly. Work with the hands. And you'll be amazed to see the joy and enthusiasm. From 3 o'clock morning, people are coming and going at night. And at night, 9.30, they would still go to the ashram and meditate. And 11 o'clock, they are going back and they are getting up at 3 o'clock. 2.30, I know a number of people. Not, I'm not talking of one or two exceptional persons. And they are so happy. At 3.30, when they are going to the ashram for you know service, if you meet them, Bonjour, good morning. They are bubbling with as if you know. Uh, even if they didn't sleep, it was perfectly fine. And 10.30, quarter to 11, they are going back to their rooms. Whole day they are working. When there was a massive, um, you know, that cyclone in the ashram a few years back. And the trees had fallen and many things were damaged. It was a raging storm throughout the day. The storm had hit at night and morning. There were people in the dining room working whole day that day the dining room was open. Of course they made only rice and dal and people, no coupons were required because they knew that you know. So in the guest house people could just walk whole day and even carry the carrier service. Go. No hotels were open in Pondicherry, nowhere food was being cooked. But the dining room was still functional. How much the mind can detach itself completely from physical difficulties. This is the power of the mind given to us. They are not exceptional people. Their names are not recorded in history. There are no books, biographies written about these people. Who have lived their life in a small little room. Ganga Dharanji and had supramental experiences. He had lived in, well, this platform. That big room. No light by the side of the staircase and when, when once mother visited she didn't even know that way outwardly that you know he's there and when she saw is this your room yes mother are you happy with this yes mother I am so happy I don't want anything else and Ganga Dharanji sitting in that room had beautiful supramental experiences I mean those experiences are amazing one would give a life for that and what he used to do clean the toilets and he is the one who wrote uh, 
Sri Arvind Sahasranam. He has written some very nice, lovely Sanskrit literature. This is yoga. It's not a, you know, taught in, you know, they are now, now concept of yoga is people pay up, sign up with 5,000 rupees or dollars, some dollars and then they go there, lovely AC environment and everything is comfortable and people are, you know, taught the path of yoga with a process to do and they come back and they practice it and they say, ah, I had beautiful experience. People don't even know what experience of yoga is. They can really blow the mind away. But what is this path which opens everywhere on all sides? In a small room it is open. The path is open. It is open to the most commonest of common. He has this ability to touch the very highest. What kind of wonderful spiritual democracy there is. There exists in this creation. It is not meant only for the special select few who can sign up with a thousand dollars. It's open to those who are even living on arms. If they take to it, they can arrive at it. So, mind, it has to learn to detach itself. It's one of the simple practices. And every day we get this practice. Without this basic detachment, fundamental detachment, we cannot think of proceeding further. Everything that is unpleasant, everything that is pleasant, all the shocks of the world and all that excites us, However good it may be, however beautiful it may be. Shubhendu describes a state in Savitri. What is the state in which Savitri sits to find her soul? So one of the states that is described is the world's destruction is a transient storm. Life, death and time were passing incidents obstructing with their view her sight. This is the state of yoga, of a yogin. The world may go to blazes. There is a letter of Shirobindo. When, you know, Dilip Kumar Rai would, oh, this is happening in the world, that is happening in the world, what do I do? <laughs> then one day Shirobindo says, the world may go to Abyssinia. Even if the world were smashed, I would look beyond the smash to the new creation. That is the power of yoga, that is the power of his words. What inspiring, what hope. So, but normally our mind gets totally drawn into it. For days, weeks, study circles are there, people don't go. Why? Because always there is some excuse. Oh, I am tired, or I had this headache, I had this shoulder ache, and all this life this continues. I have this problem, I have that problem. So, problems also keep on because it's such a simple way to keep on away. And then I didn't read because of this, I didn't read because of that. Always there is an excuse. The mind is fatigued. Because the mind has been made to now be at the mercy of the body. It's a terrible slavery. We are happy if the body is comfortable. We are sad if the body is um, in a discomfortable state. Everything is connected to that. Like Virochna who thought that the self is the self of the body. This is a story. I'm not going into it right now. So the first thing we have to learn is the self of the body is not myself. So when people die, we have to stop this saying, so and so died. So and so has not died. He shed his body. What is strange even about Shurabindo, sometimes I see this written. And sometimes 
by devotees, by people who are meant to at least be more sensitive. Shubhavindo died on so and so day. So somebody once in a group asked me, you know now Shubhavindo is not there, mother is not there, so who is the guru? How do we go into this yoga? This question is often asked, isn't it? So I threw a counter question at the group. I said, do one thing. Uh, before I answer this question, please raise hands whether this statement is true or not. If it is true, raise your hands. Krishna is dead. <laughs> Nobody was daring to raise that. I said, why not? I mean, if Shurabindo is dead, Krishna is long, long back. I could ask this question to a Christian. Christ is dead. It jars, it shocks. It's blasphemous. How dare you speak like that? Not only how dare, something within us intuitively says it's absurd, it's wrong. It's just not true. What is it that knows? All the senses, appearances tell us. Even it's documented in the Bhagavad. Krishna didn't vanish. He actually died by the arrow of uh, Jara. So, I mean, it's documented. But ask anybody, raise your hands who believe Krishna is dead. You will feel the whole world has collapsed. <laughs> Nothing exists. Nothing is worth anymore. You know, that's famous story of Martin Luther King when he went through depression and long period, full face, long face. And then his wife one day came and said, Do you know today's news? What is it? Not interested anymore. Christ is dead. What? How dare you say this? He said, then why are you pulling such a long face? Why, why are you depressed? Why are you in despair? If Christ is alive, then why are you sad? What a contradiction of a life. To say Shurabindo is dead, now who will be our guru? Who will be the master is the most ignorant. That's why first thing in yoga, as I said, appearances are deceptive. If we are all our life to trust our appearances, we will not be able to take one step on the path of yoga. Days, weeks, months, years, disciples spent seeking that psychic being. Mother has said it takes 30 years. People want it in one day. Or today I'll sit, meditate, heart center, mother has said, half an hour I'll have my psychic being. There's no such illusion. So much purification to reach that inner fire. So many battles to be fought, like that movie Indiana Jones and the Cup of Christ. So many subtle and deceptive forces that stand on the way, very, very real. Who will offer you everything except the coveted prize. So many snares and pitfalls. Outwardly, inwardly. Voices of the ego that deny. Doubts that usurp like demons. All the aspiration and then vomit it out. And yet the seeker walks step by step with full trust. That he who has called me to the path. I am his responsibility. He will carry me through. Sri Aurobindo says, this is the faith required in this yoga. Without this faith, one cannot have yoga. This is what Sri Aurobindo says. This is what Gita says. What is the qualification of yoga? 
is being intellectual a qualification having read the scriptures a qualification going to temples a qualification sitting in the church a qualification no gita says shraddhavan labhate who finds he who has faith and goes on further to say shraddhamayome i am the faith as is our faith so is our life so is our destiny so is our destination man creates his future by his faith not just believe faith is something much deeper if i have faith in the supramental transformation i will end up arriving at it come what may if i have faith that a thing like union with the divine exists then i will end up arriving at this union with the divine whatever the difficulties on the way the threefold faith required in this yoga shivendra says in one of his wonderful letters the faith that the divine exists to start with of course there is a way of approaching where we say we, you know no divine nothing that's of course a very impersonal approach and in buddhism we take this path anatmavad but we are not talking of that we are talking about the yoga of the gita and the yoga of mother and shurbindo faith is not a construct faith is the stuff of the soul this is the difference many people believe faith is a construct of the mind that's a belief a belief system faith is not a construct of the mind that is why it, it refuses to die where faith has been born even if everything goes contrary faith will not die because it's a stuff of the soul it is in fact the blueprint that the soul carries in knowledge of its future faith is the reflex of a knowledge which the soul already contains as a blueprint so it just refuses to die faith is the starting point like aspiration will will is the helper but faith is the starting point so as is my faith so is my life if i have this faith that desire has created this world so will i end up my experiences of life will end up only showing me that how beautiful and how powerful this is if i have faith in my destiny so first faith he says is that there is the divine behind all the anomalous appearances if we start questioning it at every step second it is he who has called me to the path look how beautiful it's not i who have gone to him it is he who has called me to the path and i may be the fullest of the fool but he is the wisest of the wise that's why it has been said very beautifully fools judge the master by the disciple disciples and the wise just the disciples by the master fools will say such disciples what kind of master he must be but the wise will say disciple of such a master there is a lovely story of somebody who went to devra baba he was a realized man and he had weird kind of actions he would suddenly kick people throw stones at them but he was realized mind you and he used to hate these you know artificial people coming with all kinds of show sham desires and he would even throw stones <laughs> to keep them away and long queues will be there to meet him he would often live in a tree house and you know there are uh, indra gandhi has gone there and mother has said he was a realized 
person. She has put her stamp on that. There are many stories of masters who have been to him. So when some three, four Shivabindu devotees from the ashram, they went, they were also standing in the queue, long queue. Suddenly, Devra Baba sent somebody all the way. Come, come, call them. So they come and ask some names. Ashram, Ashram, se kon Bindu Ashram se. Who has come from Shirobindu Ashram? These people suddenly don't know what has happened. <laughs> what they are going to get. They had heard about all his eccentricities. Come, come, come. Guruji is calling you. The Guruji ke pas, they all go. And Guruji is very happy that they have come from Shirobindu Ashram. And then he tells his disciples, Malum kahan se aya? You know where he has come from. They have come from Shirobindu Ashram, the Guru of Gurus. The master of masters, give them lot of batashas, this uh, puffed um, sugar, you know, which he used to give as a prashad. Give them more, give them extra. So, you know, they <laughs> and very happily, and then he sent him away. These people were wondering what is our qualification to deserve this? Just one qualification. The wise judged the disciple by the master. He knew that. He, they whom Shirobindo has chosen, whom mother has chosen, they are in a different category. And they treat them with a different, all the forces of the world, even the gods. And there are so many stories I could go into. Maybe some other time, otherwise the photo session will be all blank nirvana. <laughs> Why do I keep jumping? I want to get back to the pain. <laughs> but there is no pain. <laughs> Look how psychic looks at pain and its touch can make the pain vanish. We read that marvelous line in Savitri. The psychic, the soul flowing into the blood. It also has a substance. It's not just a immaterial, formless consciousness. That everything is at its bottom. Psychic has a substance. The supramental has a substance. And it's a substance which can Flow into the body. Give it the right impulsion. Nalida describes while playing football. You know when he would play football. Like now of course football is going on. Is it still going on? Finals are over. When is it? Today is semi-final. Tomorrow is final. Oh, so very timely we are talking about it. So Nalida when he would play football. He would play with this aspiration. That I would not touch anybody. And nobody would touch me. And yet I must play well. What a lovely thing. And in football, I would not touch anyone is fine, but nobody should touch me. And yet I must play well is a bit, you know, difficult. And of course, Bengali blood, football is there in the blood. Now the amazing part is he says that when the psychic touches the body, it can actually give you the right reflex, the right orientation. It can go to that extent. If there is pain, it can flow into the pain and open it to the divine. Just as, you know, flower is, opens to the sun. Mother says when people come to ashram, the psychic is in the front and it gives them broadness and clarity in the mind, wideness and clarity in the mind. Then sweetness and joy in the vital. 
health and harmony in the physical it spontaneously gives because that's the touch of the psyche so when psychic acts it acts very differently so we can intervene at the physical level we can intervene at the emotional level we can intervene at the mental level thoughts attitudes we can intervene at the psychic level but the psychic will look at the pain also very differently it's not a cause of distress sadness the psychic doesn't know sadness except when the nature is turning away from the divine and moving in stupid circles is only sadness that the psychic feels the spiritual and the higher consciousness they have another way of dealing with the pain the touch of the supermind can completely undo it in a moment there are such examples when people would go to shirbindo crying with pain oh, i have pain i have pain and Sh- mother describes it so beautifully that he would look at them shirbindo looked at him said nothing and she sees subtle hand emerge from here see that little dancing spot of pain he touched it took it out threw it far far away and this person suddenly says ah my pain is gone my pain is gone as simple as that that's why nirudha asked him i have seen you do such things why don't you cure yourself and shirvindu says can't tell you you won't understand you won't understand the leela of the divine who can understand garuda was confused the vahana of the lord that is he an avatar people say he is divine he is lying helplessly both these fellows human creatures tied by the snake nagpash and they are calling me to cut the snakes and when i have cut the snakes all these monkeys are shouting ram ji ka jay hail rama are they idiots they should be saying hail garuda he doesn't believe it what he has seen and he tries to tell hanuman you know you are wise among these people look they are praying to a mortal don't they know that i am the one who has done it just shown proved qed hanuman says garuda get you know get back to your home you have done your job good job <laughs> and then he says again hail rama so garuda is confused so he goes to brahma says you know people on earth these people are crazy what's gone wrong with them so brahma says no no they are absolutely fine you are deluded right now you will understand it <laughs> so he goes to lord shiva shiva says you know garuda i also time to time go into ecstasy with that lovely bhang it's a different kind of bhang the intoxication of the som but the intoxication that you are having i have no solution to that you do one thing you go to lord vishnu he is your master no he will tell you this is fine so he is like he is a very faithful fellow who has been standing outside doesn't know what's happening inside so when he goes inside he sees the lord is not there in his seat and then it flashes before him my god what is this leela you know pain also has a dimension which we cannot understand there are beings who take pain of the cosmos upon themselves yesterday this was one of you know udaya's question why people who are turned to madhuran shubindo they also some some of the advanced sadhak experience pain with this one story i'll close pavitrada you know he had cancer of the bone and it's so painful 
and his room was how much? Just maybe from this wall to that wall, maybe less than that, from the back side, you know, mother's room and Pavitrada's room. And what lovely relations she had with him. Sometimes she would be going for balcony darshan, he would still be sleeping. <laughs> mother would pass by his room and say, Pavitra, get up. <laughs> Can we imagine the Divine Mother telling like a child to a baby, Pavitra, get up. <laughs> Oh, yes, mother. It's 6.30, sir. And mother is going for darshan. <laughs> of course, he would be working late night and all that. So he would get up. And mother had told, you can stay there. But he will say, no. He would cross that entire area to go to the mother. Sometimes it would take as long as an hour because such intense pain. Every inch would be painful. And he would go slowly, slowly, slowly reach there till the very last days. And when Pavitra leaves the body, see this is our appearance. Oh, he was so painful. He lived all his life with Mother and Shurabindo. He had experienced Buddhist yoga with the Lamas in Mongolia. All this he had done. What came of him? And how beautifully the mother says, first of all, what came of him? Even in life they saw what equanimity, what radiance, what sweetness. Everybody who came in touch with him were touched by his sweetness. The warmth of his soul which reached out to all. And the equanimity he displayed. The love that he carried. A very impersonal love with a fragrance. And the mother says, you know, he was pumping whole night his whole consciousness into me. From every cell he extracted it. And now he's inside me intact. And then says, when you ask this question, he is feeling very amused. He's, he was also wanting to answer when somebody would ask something on mathematics. He would want to answer because he wasn't, you know, not just a higher mathematician, but open to high ranges. So that was one destiny. And then the mother says, why he it happened? How, you know, there were nice, interesting visions that people had. And he also, every night he would go out and he would go to different parts of the world, go to different people, absorb their pain, difficulty. He was full of that compassion. And the mother says, you know, he took upon himself the burden of many persons. And that was, so the mystery of pain, how different how from a spiritual consciousness it's something so different. Ramakrishna had pain. He had, you know, cancer of the throat. When Nalida, he was, you know, having these heart attacks and somebody was sitting by his side and monitoring his pulse. And then he was thinking, why Nalida has to go through all this? You know, he's such a great sadhak. So all these our ideas, you know, go topsy-turvy. And then, you know, suddenly Nalida comes out of his trance and says, you know, global karma. Sometimes one has to take upon oneself the karma of the earth and goes back. We can understand a consciousness that becomes one with every body, literally. So the mystery of pain goes very deep. Even the divine, so you know we want a simple solution. Even the divine experiences pain and that is the beauty. That is the sacrifice. Pain is the concrete stamp, like there are some things which are concrete stamp of our mortality. And yet, in fact, Mother says, it is the one sign left of 
the falsehood and unconsciousness that is there in the earth. One sign left and she has to drive it away from the cells, everything. So the final conquest of pain evades that hour. But meanwhile, there is a lot we can do. At physical level, of course, there are medicines. And nothing is, they don't contradict each other that I have to do either this or that. Both can be done. The body may not be receptive to the spiritual forces. So nothing wrong if one takes paracetamol or some gentle remedies. What the mother and Shubhinda were not very keen on is taking very violent remedies because then the body consciousness gets confused. So very often, you know, when one is exposed to very violent remedies, there is a tendency for the body consciousness to become stunned and then it is not able to do what it must also do to get rid of the pain. So gentle remedies, which include some mild antibiotics, like that can be taken. And then at the vital level, one looks upon where is my greed, desire, attitudes and works upon them. My emotion, am I getting too emotionally worked up because of this pain? Quieten the emotions, quieten the desire, bring moderation. Intellectually, how am I perceiving this pain? Am I unwittingly contributing to it? I am adding to it. Detachment. So the mind can detach itself completely from pain. This is a lovely very well demonstrated in uh, Norman Cousins' book, Anatomy of an Illness. I'm, I would recommend people should read it who experience a lot of pain and are worried about it. He got rid of his pains which were considered as incurable by running away from the hospital because that was the rule that day that you can't just go away. And he checked in to a hotel and watched all the funny movies. It's a fact, documented in the book. And he got rid of his pain. Simply because it turned his mind away. This is a simple remedy. And then the psychic, which can just flow into those parts, open them to the light. And then the higher consciousness. If every day we are in the practice of invoking it, then when we have difficulty, we can invoke it. And then of course the final remedy, by the touch of the supramental sun. So we will stop here. Gone way beyond. But that's how it is. We'll meet after whenever HP tells us to come, we'll come.